the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Happy Friday, March 31st, 2023, 602-508-0960, 602-5080-960. Sometimes I just think we are so lost, just lost. I was thinking about that and that phrase, not only with the news of the president's indictment, as we discussed so much yesterday and will again today, but also as I was driving to the studio today, what a pregnant week it was, noting the American flags at the car dealers I drive by were at half-staff. Do you notice those two, Bill? I didn't know why they were. I don't know if you did. So I went to the Arizona governor's website, and here's what states, quote, in coordination with the presidential proclamation, Governor Hobbs has ordered flags at all state buildings be lowered to half-staff immediately through sunset March 31st, 2023 in honor of the victims of the tragedy in Nashville, Tennessee. Governor Hobbs released the following statement, quote, As flags across our state and our country are lowered for the six victims of school gun violence in Nashville, we mourn their loss along with all others killed by gun violence. Our schools should be safe places for students and teachers. This could have and should have been prevented. Individuals, businesses, and other organizations are encouraged to join in this tribute. Regards, Arizona Office of Administration. So warm, isn't that? Regards, Arizona Office of Administration. This could have and should have been prevented. If you go to President Joe Biden's proclamation that it references, his first sentence states that this was, quote, a senseless act of violence, close quote. I don't want to get too caught up in preventing the senseless, nor do I want to disquisite on how you mourn six, vis- six victims, especially when you put in the same statement that their deaths are to be commemorated with, quote-unquote, all others killed by guns. I guess today all lives do matter, and it's not wrong to say so anymore. That's not the whole complement of proclamations. While there are no proclamations of half-staffing of flags to commemorate the nine soldiers killed at Fort Campbell yesterday, President Biden did issue a second proclamation yesterday, another one, on what was called Transgender Visibility Day, where he wrote, quote, An epidemic of violence against transgender women and girls, in particular women and girls of color, has taken lives far too soon, close quote. Now, in this proclamation, there's nothing about Nashville. He does mention in this proclamation the Club Q shooting in Colorado last year as evidence. The Club Q shooting in Colorado last year that targeted a LGBTQ nightclub. He does not mention that the shooter at the Q Club was himself, herself, non-binary. 
Sorry, according to CNN and the L.A. Times, the shooter identifies as they, them, not he or she. Something is awfully wrong here. On Tuesday, President Joe Biden was asked if Christians were targeted in Nashville at a place called the Covenant School. The president's first answer was, I have no idea, quote unquote. Now, he had an idea earlier in the day of what the problem was and what the solution was. Earlier in the day, he spoke about the need to ban assault weapons. But then when he showed no understanding of who the assailant was or who or what the target was, his answer was, I have no idea. So the reporter followed up saying, quote, Josh Hawley believes they were Christians who were targeted, close quote. So President Biden then reposted, well, then I doubt it. No, I'm only joking. I have no idea. That's what he said. Quote, well, I doubt it. No, I'm only joking. I have no idea. Close quote. Joking? Joking. The first response was whatever Josh Hawley said, his own beliefs will be the opposite. That repost was an insight into almost everything you need to know about this president and his party, which continually says it wants bipartisanship and to cross party lines and work with the other team. This party defines its views as exactly the direct opposite of whatever Republicans believe, and nothing will be sacrosanct about this. Nothing will be elevated or above politics, including anti-religious bigotry or the deaths, in fact, homicide of children and teachers. Somehow, between that jape and badinage, the president concluded the shooting was senseless. That's what he put in his proclamation, senseless, meaning devoid of purpose or meaning. There are almost 200 public schools in Nashville, teaching some 80,000 students. But what we know is that this school is a Christian school, and what we know is this shooter had some very strong disagreements with what that school stands and stood for. What we know is this shooter wrote a manifesto and had maps and detailed plans of the shooting to take place at this school. Still senseless and without meaning? We are just lost because we know damn well how this would have played out and been played up if A, Donald Trump were the president, or even if he were not, and this was B, a white male who identified as Christian, and C, the school were any other religion or representative of any other race. It would be considered immediately a targeted hate crime, and the rhetoric of the Republican Party would be to blame. We know this because we know the pattern. We know this from recent history, and we know this because of all the mainstream media immediately trying to excuse the violence based on a law passed in Tennessee to stop transgender procedures for children. Now, nearly half the states in this country have such laws, so are we to need to immediately prepare for such excused prospective violence in those states too? Perhaps so as the implied message from the mainstream media is that you cannot blame the shooter for acting out violently because, per Chris Cuomo, who says protests have to be peaceful. And maybe we should bear down, I don't know, instead of letting our flags down. Here's the AP yesterday, quote, Twitter says it has removed thousands of tweets showing a poster promoting a trans day of vengeance protest in support of transgender rights in Washington, D.C. on Saturday. Ella Irwin, Twitter's head of trust and safety, said Wednesday that the company automatically removed more than 5,000 tweets and retweet tweets of a poster promoting that event. Quote, we do not support tweets that incite violence irrespective of who posts them, 
Vengeance does not imply peaceful protest, close quote. No, it certainly does not. 5,000 promotions of a non-peaceful incitement. I'm old enough to remember when incitement was a crime, even for those who didn't engage in it. I will quote you the AP story, by the way, of leftists yesterday storming and taking over the Tennessee Capitol and legislatures over gun control legislation, if and when they report on it, and the leftists stopping democracy in a state's capital legislature. We'll see if the story makes it to CNN or MSNBC. It hasn't yet. Want to make some bets if it will? The Tennessee newspaper of record has called it, quote, an interruption, close quote, online, an interruption. You have protesters taking over the legislature there with bodies and megaphones and speakers shouting, no action, no peace, taking over the legislature, shouting into those megaphones, and it is an interruption. No peace, as the rioters, protesters, whatever the media will designate them, pushed and stormed through state troopers trying to keep the doors shut and the rioters protest and protesters who overwhelmed them out. At least they gave us a word that began with the letter I, didn't they? Here's an item in case you missed it. Along with everything else, the Democratic governor's press secretary here tweeted out a video of a gun-toting woman saying, quote, us when we see transphobes, close quote. In other words, those opposed to pro-transgender legislation deserve to be shot. This within hours of the shooting at Nashville's Covenant School by someone claiming to be transgender. This would be the same press secretary who two years ago tweeted out a statement by Asada Shakur, a cop-killing communist terrorist wanted by the FBI and last seen hiding from authorities in Cuba. We all need a great relearning here, do we not? We care or used to care about hate crimes or some hate crimes. I bet you did not know, with all the talk about anti-gender, non-conforming hate crimes, that there are, according to the FBI, more anti-Christian hate crimes in America, according to the latest statistics, by 128%. Maybe if we were more universal and non-particular about all hate crimes being wrong against any person of any religion or color or sexuality, all violence being equally wrong, we would have less of it rather than what we have now which is a preferred emphasis on some victims and victims' lives being more valuable than others, which allows for subjective decisions and permissions by assailants to think in their addled minds they are justified in doing their dreadful deeds. Borrowing from John Dunn, we used to think the death of any man diminished every man because we were all part of mankind. Borrowing from Shakespeare, we used to think the pricking of any of us led to the same blood, just as the tickling of us led to the same laughter, just as the poisoning of us or any of us led to the same death. Well, we don't believe that anymore and ask why we find ourselves in the times we find ourselves with the violence we excuse, defend, and object to based on the kind of victim and the kind of assailant and wonder why at the same time we are seeing more of it. Perhaps we're training the behavior we're receiving. I started this monologue by saying sometimes I just think we are so lost. I've been thinking of that phrase ever since 1982 when I first heard it in a movie theater. The movie was The Verdict, based on the David Mamet play of the same name. It's from the closing argument of Frank Galvin, played by Paul Newman. 
In his closing argument, he said, quote, You know, so much of the time we're lost. We say, please, God, tell us what is right. Tell us what is true. There is no justice. The rich win. The poor are powerless. We become tired of hearing people lie. After a time, we become dead, a little dead. We start thinking of ourselves as victims, and we become victims. And we become weak and doubt ourselves and doubt our institutions and doubt our beliefs. We say, for example, the law is a sham. There is no law. I was a fool for having believed there was. Today, we are the law. You are the law. And not some book and not the lawyers or the marble statues and the trappings of the court. All that they are is symbols of, a, of our desire to be just. All that they are, in effect, is a prayer a fervent and a frightened prayer. In my religion, we say, act as if you had faith and faith will be given to you. If we could have faith in justice, we must only believe in ourselves and act with justice. And I believe that there is justice in our hearts. Close quote. President Biden is of the same faith as the fictional Frank Galvin. Too bad he couldn't give a speech like that this week instead of joking about chocolate chip ice cream, rushing to judgment and running to his default of partisan mockery and jokes. Maybe we'd have been, and all be, just a little less lost. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960 liberal uh, listener was emailing me and was um, really just very, very, very decent in how he was challenging me uh, in our back and forth with all the candor, intelligence, and goodwill we try to uh, abide by. And um, having thanked him for that, he, uh, I think, came around to my point of view. And uh, I thanked him and he said, just... uh, do me one favor and play that, add that bumper song we just played. So that's that's why that's there. It's a, it's a thank you and a tribute to um, decency and goodwill. John Hinderocker will be with us a little later. I'm going to read you two things that I think were probably the best that were written about the Trump indictment, uh, which we uh, it was kind of an interesting challenge yesterday, wasn't it, Bill, doing it in real time as we covered it <laughs> for three hours straight. As uh, as the news was breaking, we kind of dispensed with everything else in front of us, huh? Um, so the Democrats, John writes, decided to indict Donald Trump after all. I assume that Alvin Bragg would not have proceeded without a green light from higher ups in the party. Here, as in so many other areas, we are in uncharted waters. The Democrats have launched a sort of blitzkrieg against our traditions, our constitution, our culture, at least our culture as it was and every form of restraint that makes civil society possible. They have unleashed a wind and seem serenely confident that they will never face a whirlwind. I don't know. Maybe they are right. I do know that after today, our country will never be the same again. In the short term, the indictment will help Donald Trump politically. Perhaps that was the Democrats' intention, but I don't think any of us can foresee how it will play out. Legally speaking, the indictment is a joke. No doubt Trump will try to have it dismissed, but I don't know enough about criminal procedure in New York to have any idea how long that will take or what his prospects of success are. Bear in mind 
that any motion to dismiss will most likely be heard by a Trump-hating Democratic judge. If the case makes it to trial, it will go before a New York jury that probably will consist entirely of Democrats and, once again, Trump-haters. There is no way a conviction can be ruled out. Appeals would follow, likely taking a year or more. No doubt Trump will get a political bump in the short term, but what if the case is still going on when the primary season begins? Will Republican primary voters really want to nominate a candidate who's in the midst of a criminal proceeding that theoretically could send him to jail? I don't know. But I do know that today is an evil day in America's history. The Democrats are behaving like a party from a pre-enlightenment, pre-constitutional era. Seeing themselves in the driver's seat, they are making a naked grab for totalitarian power across a broad range of issues and institutions. Indicting a former president on frivolous grounds is shocking, but it is of a piece with the strategies Democrats are following in Washington and across the country. Since he wrote that, we do know a couple of things. We do know who the judge is. We do know the judge has held trials and sanctioned and sent to prison, to jail, others in the Trump organization. What was his name? Alan Weisselberg, Trump's former vice president being one of, uh, yes, John, Donald Trump's former vice president at the Trump organization uh, being being among them. Uh, we, we, we do know that much. Uh, we don't have the indictment in full just yet. Reports are that it's got about 30-some-odd counts, probably not 30-some-odd crimes, probably each, as Brett Johnson was explaining, each, iteraz- each, iter- each iteration of the same underlying misdemeanor being perpetuated or being retold counting as such a crime. They're going to have an awfully hard time Proving this with the cross-examinations, you have the two witnesses that I can think of, the only two, Stormy Daniels, who has in writing denied that there was even a relationship between the two of them. And you have, of course, Michael Cohen, who has gone to jail himself for misleading Congress and for fraud. Not exactly what a prosecutor wants to go to the bar with. Not exactly what a prosecutor would consider great witnesses or even star witnesses. Well, we'll see. I want to read you something else that was written about this that I think is pretty good and puts it all in perspective, but I'm happy to hear from you too. 602-508-0960. Another question. I've heard a lot of talk radio hosts talk about moderate Republicans over the last two days, Republicans who don't want to get involved in defending against this nasty business that we've seen out of Alvin Bragg's offices. I have not heard from those Republicans. I have not seen them. I wonder if you have. I almost I almost wonder if we're all MAGA Republicans today. I'm Seth, 602-5080-960. Be right back. Before I get to uh, that other column I was mentioning, uh, Glenn Greenwald has a thread here on Twitter that is important. This is a uh, adjunct to the whole debate about and over um, 
Alvin Bragg with respect to the fact that uh, he's been the recipient of a lot of George Soros's money. And uh, Jennifer Rubin and a bunch of other columnists are saying that it's an anti-Semitic trope, an anti-Jewish trope to keep invoking George Soros's name. George Soros himself said he's never even met Alvin Bragg. Bill knows exactly what that is. That's Ignoratio Alenci. No one said he met Alvin Bragg. Ignoratio Alenci is a fallacy from the Latin, ignoring of a refutation, making an argument, responding to an argument that wasn't made. No one said he met Alvin Bragg. People said his money supported Alvin Bragg, and it certainly did through his PACs. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. The fact that he was born Jewish, does that make it anti-Semitic to point that out? How many columns did we read about Sheldon Adelson? Because he supported Republicans. Where were the claims of anti-Semitism there? There were none because he supported Republicans and he was Jewish. And he actually identified as Jewish, by the way, which George Soros does not. It's very convenient for the left to try and take off the table criticism of the lead left-wing financer in America (laughs) using any means necessary by a false charge of it being anti-Semitic when it isn't. I said this before. I'll say it again. I was criticizing George Soros long before I even knew he was born into the – let me put it better – I was criticizing him years before I even know I even knew he was born into into a family whose parents were Jewish. And as I say, he has not. I did a whole monologue on this, by the way. A whole monologue on the false accusation of anti-Semitism by invoking the name of George Soros. You can get it. It's from September 22nd of last year, because that's when it was last ripe. September 22nd of last year. Anyway, Glenn Greenwald points out that it's 100% legitimate to discuss and criticize anyone using huge sums to influence politics, be it the NRA or Planned Parenthood or APAC or HRC or Soros. But if you're someone who depicted the GOP as Adelson's puppet for Israel, you have no no credibility to play with anti-Semitism this way. The reason liberals are manipulating anti-Semitism accusations to ban discussions of how Soros money was used to elect Alvin Bragg is because this is the worst, most embarrassing case for prosecuting Trump, a liberal prosecutor in Manhattan doing it over an old, trivial case. As Glenn writes, I am 100 percent opposed to the idea that former presidents or high officials should be immunized for prosecution. In fact, I wrote a 2011 book. That had no point other than to condemn this media-supported two-tier justice system. But this is the worst case to use for it. He's absolutely right. If you're going to break a norm like this, it better be crystal clear. It better be explicable and explainable. It is still the fact that Alvin Bragg is responsible for defining down 52 different felonies and misdemeanors in New York. 
It is still indisputably true that violence since Alvin Bragg has become district attorney has increased 30% in Manhattan. And so what he has done, while defining down real felonies and turning them into misdemeanors, is taking a misdemeanor against a former president and attempted to turn it into a felony. Think about that paradox for a moment. Okay, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. With so many cracks showing up in the banking system and over $31 trillion in U.S. debt, just printing more money is not a viable answer. A lot of other places from Argentina to Zimbabwe have done that, and they brought on defaults. Gold has never defaulted, and veteran-owned Midas Gold Group will reinforce your portfolio. Give them a call to look into safeguarding your money with the stability of gold. It's the only... Precious Metals dealer that Seb Gorka, I, thousands of you already know and own precious metals from. Gold traditionally holds its value when economies fail. Credit Suisse, Signature, Silicon Valley Bank. Minus Gold Group believes we are in the early stages of a growing crisis, and the Fed's higher interest rates are your cue to create your own bank with real money. Gold. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com, or better yet, give them a call at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Midas Gold Group. Gold you can hold, your vault of confidence. Jeffrey Lord is such an interesting writer. Over at The Spectator, he wrote, If ever there were a corruption of justice, this indictment is it. But by chance, before the news arrived, there was one telling moment back-to-back with this. On Saturday, March 25th, former President Donald Trump spoke at a rally in Waco, Texas, and said this, quote, either the deep state destroys America or we destroy the deep state. Days later, Americans read this headline in the Wall Street Journal, quote, the IRS makes a strange house call on Matt Taibbi. An agent shows up at the home of the Twitter files journalist who testified before Congress. The Wall Street Journal story reported Democrats are denouncing the House GOP investigation into the weaponization of government, but maybe that's because Republicans are getting somewhere. That includes new evidence that the IRS may be targeting a journalist who testified before the weaponization committee. Jim Jordan sent a letter Monday to IRS Commissioner Daniel Werfel and Janet Yellen seeking an explanation for why journalist Matt Taibbi received an unannounced home visit from an IRS agent. We've seen the letter, and both the circumstances and timing of the IRS focus on this journalist raise some serious questions. Mr. Taibbi has provoked the ire of Democrats and other journalists for his role in researching Twitter records and then releasing internal communications from the social media giant that expose censorship and contacts with government officials. And right there is yet another decidedly vivid example of just why what the former president said is so critically important for the future of this country over and over and over and over. One example after another of power-drunk government officials abusing their power, weaponizing their power, has surfaced. And it is clearly no coincidence that all of this happened since outsider Donald Trump rose to political success with his 2016 election to the presidency. The IRS visit to the private residence of a journalist, in this case Matt Taibbi, comes as New York District Attorney Alvin Bragg has indicted the former president for plainly no other reason than to get 
Trump. Add that to the three other investigations into Trump, and you have four deep state weaponized probes into the former president. In Washington, the Biden Department of Justice has appointed a special counsel to look into classified documents taken in an unannounced, in an unannounced, in an unannounced FBI raid on Trump's private Mar-a-Lago residence in Florida and Trump's alleged efforts to interfere with the results of the 2020 election. Back in New York, Attorney General Letitia James is using her office to fulfill her campaign promise that, quote, the days of this president are numbered, close quote, which is to say the Attorney General of New York is all about weaponizing her government power to get Trump. Meanwhile, down there in Georgia, a grand jury is investigating Trump for yet again election integrity, demanding election and integrity get trump georgia edition add in the brag indictment one still only scratches the rage of the deep state against trump these four don't even count the corruption of the fbi and justice department as they tried to subvert the 2016 campaign nor does it count this news as reported by the washington post on january 31st 2017 a mere 11 days after trump was sworn into office the washington post headline quote Resistance from within, federal workers push back against Trump. Here's some of that story to take you down memory lane just a bit. The signs of popular dissent from President Trump's opening volley of actions have been plain to see on the nation's streets, at airports in the aftermath of his refugee and visa ban, and in the blizzard of outrage on social media. But there's another level of resistance to the new president that is less visible and potentially more troublesome to the administration, a growing wave of opposition from the federal workers charged with implementing any of the new president's agenda. Less than two weeks into Trump's administration, federal workers are in regular consultation with recently departed Obama-era political appointees about what they can do to push back against the new president's initiatives. Some federal employees have set up social media accounts to anonymously leak word of changes that Trump appointees are trying to make. The very first instinctual response to all this is who the hell do these people think they are? Do elections mean anything to them? Taken alone, not mention, not to mention collectively, these are all too vivid examples of just why Trump is saying either the deep state destroys America or we destroy the deep state. At the very beginning of the creation of the United States, James Madison famously said, in essence, what Donald Trump is saying now, Federalist Paper 51. If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government, which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the government and next oblige it to control itself. Oblige it to control itself. Clearly, as all of this targeting of one president by hyperpartisan government bureaucrats who epitomize the deep state illustrates vividly, they have lost the ability to control themselves. They are out of control. They are not in possession of themselves. The question now, when will the New York District Attorney's Office be investigated and indicted for a monumental corruption of justice? And who will do that investigation? On that point, you probably have to wait for a Republican administration. Department of Justice, the Federal Department of Justice, can investigate other agencies, 
city, state, you know that very well. You know that all too well, particularly when it comes to the abuse of civil rights, the abuse of the use of justice, the abuse of prosecutorial power. And that's probably why we're going to have to work extra hard to win in 2024, because while we may know that, you know, the Democrats know that, too. Yeah, just remember that last thing in Pandora's box. You know what it is, Bill, David? It's hope. It's hope. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Is that Eddie Rabbit? Who sings that? I think it is. Yeah, Eddie Eddie Rabbit, yeah. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. How do you think the Biden administration is handling the economy with the bank failures and stock market volatility and recession possibly on the horizon? What if you could invest in a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises, a high fixed rate of return, and that's not correlated to the Fed or the stock market? where your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, there are no fees, where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. A secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% rate of return. Talk to my friends at Y-Refi. They're local. You can visit with them. They're trustworthy and honest, and you won't get a sales pitch. I know them very well. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm and you can earn up to 10.25% rate of return. As I say, that's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Just check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or call them at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. I'm still struck by the brilliance of former U.S. Supreme Court Justice Robert Jackson, and he was also a former attorney general to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He was appointed to the Supreme Court by Franklin Delano Roosevelt as well, and then stepped aside to prosecute the Nazi war crimes at Nuremberg, only to go back to the Supreme Court after that. This is how Democrats used to think. He spoke in 1940. I said this, yes, quoted this yesterday. It's worth doing again. If the prosecutor is obliged to choose his cases, it follows that he can choose his defendants. And therein is the most dangerous power of the prosecutor, that he will pick people that he thinks he should get rather than pick cases that need to be prosecuted. It is not a question of discovering the commission of a crime when he does this. And then looking for the man who is committed, it is a question of picking the man and then searching the law books or putting investigators to work to pin some offense on him. It is in this realm in which the prosecutor picks some person whom he dislikes or desires to embarrass or selects some group of unpopular persons and then looks for an offense that is the greatest danger of abuse of prosecuting power. It is here that law enforcement becomes personal and the real crime becomes that of being unpopular with the predominant or governing group, being attached to the wrong political views or being personally obnoxious to or in the way of the prosecutor himself. That's how Democrats used to think. Let Joe Biden talk about your father's and grandfather's Republican Party. I'd like to talk to him about father's and grandfather's and great-grandfather's Democratic Party. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.